0: Mr. Donald Sanchez, I'll let him tell you a little bit more about himself, but he's been uh, working with us the past few years, uh, coming and presenting with us, so see if you can judge where he's from by his accent. Hello, (laughs) y'all. Good morning. My name is Donald Sanchez, and I'll just tell you, I'm born and raised in New York City. Uh, It's great to be with you this morning. Let's just open up in a word of prayer before I start. Father, we just... I give you thanks, Lord, for the truth that you've given us through the gospel of of your Son, Jesus Christ. And as we um, discuss the resurrection, Lord, we recognize that it is the linchpin of Christianity. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you had power over death. And so I pray that you would just um, help us to really embrace that truth, that it would encourage us and help us defend the veracity and the truth of Christianity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, we are. Let's see. Is this working? Oh, you know what? I didn't sign in with my phone. All right, I'll just do this. Nope. You can log in while you do that? Yeah, if you can. I'm sorry. Let me just uh, passwords. Just give me one second. So can I not advance this just from here? You should be able to. Yeah, you're on the last slides so go to the top. I knew that. Just I was wondering, why is that. Okay, there we go. Okay. <laughs> okay, y'all didn't see that. There we go. All right, good morning. Um, my name is Donald Sanchez, and... I'm a student, I'm currently a student at Southern Evangelical Seminary, I'm in the Masters of Divinity program, so I've got about, I'm a lifelong student, I've been there for about 10 years, so uh, hopefully in the next 10 years I'll graduate. Got several classes left. This morning we're going to be talking about, did Jesus rise from the dead? So is is it a fact of history or is it just historical fiction? We're going to explore that this morning. What I want to talk about is we're going to discuss some preliminary considerations and then we're going to just talk about the death of Jesus. We're going to look at some of the objections uh, to the resurrection and uh, just give you some concluding thoughts. Now, in the small amount of time that we have there's only so much I can cover, so is, this is a is a wide, broad subject, uh, but we'll, I'll do the best I can. So when we talk about history, um, what what is what's the object of history? What do we what are we looking at when we study history? Anybody? Nobody knows what history is. Does anybody know what history Recorded is? Re- okay, <laughs> all right. So history is the. Um, we're looking, we're looking at past events. Okay? So, because we're looking at past events, history... And this is not working, so I'm just going to put this down. So, we look at past events. Um, history is unlike science. So, science, we can control certain variables. We can recreate conditions that produce certain results. And history is more like forensics. What do I mean by forensics? When you go to court... Okay, and you're testifying at court. You are testifying about past events. Assuming, let's say, it's a crime. Now, I was a homicide detective in New York City. I was a member of the New York City Police Department for 21 years. Uh, had a great career. Was in, I was an undercover narcotics uh, during the height of the crack cocaine, uh, crack and cocaine, heroin epidemic in the city. Uh I was um first responder on September eleventh. But the last five years of my career I was a homicide detective. It's one of the things that I investigated. And oftentimes I'd be called to court. You know, you make an arrest and you have to go to court. So what I'm testifying is about past events. Now you guys watch T V, there's all kind of forensic programs on T V, TV shows, movies. So you understand that when you testify about past events You've, you've got to bring in evidence, and so the jury has the option, or, or the, actually the obligation, of, of weighing the evidence and seeing if you know what the prosecutor is presenting. Is that is that seem to be more reasonable, more credible, or does the defense attorney, the case that the defense attorney puts on, is that more reasonable or credible? And as a result, they um, they weigh the evidence, and, that, and that's and so so when we discuss history. It's, it's very different than science. Now, I, I want to really, if, if you guys, have you guys ever heard of J. Warner Wallace? Jim Wallace, anybody? All right, Jim Wallace is uh, a detective. He was a homicide detective in California. And he wrote an excellent book called Cold Case Christianity, A Homicide Detective that Investigates the Claims of the Gospel. And on the, in the second chapter of this book, I'll pass it around. In the second chapter of this book, he deals with the resurrection. And he deals it uh, from the perspective of a homicide investigator. And so being that um, I had a similar experience, today I'm going to be a homicide investigator. This is a picture taken me 10 years ago before I retired. That's where I worked uh, in New York City. So we're going to talk about death investigations. And I want... I want you guys to become investigators as well, because I, I want to talk about certain things about death investigations and how we uh, draw conclusions about crime scenes. And then I, I, then when we start to talk about the death of Jesus and the resurrection, I want to bring in some of those principles as well. So again, um, death investigations, they're forensic investigations, and so... You uh, collect evidence, you examine the scene, you interview witnesses. Um, those are all a part of homicide investigations. The other thing, death investigations, they've occurred in the past. Okay, It's not something that can be repeatable. Now, obviously, if you come across a scene, it's a homicide scene. If there's videotape, you know, if you, if you just, well, I don't want to encourage you to do this, but... If you go to YouTube, I mean, there are just so many videos out there of people getting shot and killed and, you know, robberies at gas stations and convenience stores. But the actual event can only happen once, right? So those events occurred in the past. Again, a death investigation is unrepeatable. You can't come to a homicide scene, ask the person, get up, tell me what happened. Uh, Once you're dead, you're dead. And the tools and the methods that homicide investigators use uh, differ than, again, the tools and methods that scientists would use in the lab in conducting experiments. And the other thing is uh, you use abductive reasoning. Now, what is abductive reasoning? Abductive reasoning is when you, you, come, to a, you come to a scene, and, and this abductive reason, reasoning is not something that's just... Um, Specific for homicide investigations. I mean, reasoning, you use reasoning every day. But in a homicide investigation, you come in and you look at, you you observe the scene. You you look at, you know, the person who's dead, if there's, you know, spent bullets, knives, you know, anything, and and you look and, and you start to draw certain conclusions. Like, in other words, you start piecing things together, and then as a result of the information you have, you make a logical inference. You make you make inferences about what you see. So, what we're going to do is um, you examine the scene. You gather the facts and the evidence, and then again, like I said, you explore certain explanations about what happened, and those are the, you come to those conclusions. So, there's only four. The manner of death. Now, this is. On TV and the movies, you always hear the cause of death. Okay, what was the cause of death, Johnson? Um, It's the manner of death. Okay, so there's there's only four ways in which the manner of death can occur. A death can be natural. It can be an accident. It can be suicide. Or it can be homicide. Those are the only four options we have. Now, the cause of death can either be as a result of an agent, a person, or an instrument gun, knife, axe, bat, w- whatever it is. Now, let's, um, you walk into a scene, all right, now you gotta put on your little investigator caps. You see this guy laying down. You call to the scene, you go to an apartment or to a house. Uh, the wife, she calls, she's hysterical. I came home, my husband's, he's on the floor. He's not breathing. You show up, you see this guy with his briefcase. He's dead. Okay, we'll assume he's dead. Was that death natural? Was it an accident, suicide? Or was that a homicide? And this is, uh, th- this is one of the really interesting ways that um, Jim Wallace deals with this in, in his chapter on the resurrection. So let me ask you, just looking at that guy, what do you think? Is that a natural death? Was it an accident? Did he commit suicide, or was he was he murdered? I'm sorry. Okay. What now? What makes you think it was a homicide? Is it possible he could have had a heart attack? Okay. So if he had a heart attack, that would have been what? Natural. Is it possible that he? Um, Just got fired from work, and he took a bunch of pills, committed suicide. Is that possible? Right, but he but he just well okay. So if he got fired, he would have threw it at the boss. So assuming he doesn't have the briefcase, is is it possible that could have been a suicide? Yes. Okay, is it possible that um, is it possible that he had a little obnoxious two year old that never cleaned up after herself, and she left like you know a little skate or something, and he tripped, fell on the skate banged down, banged his head, and uh, he died of a concussion or something. It's possible. It's possible. Okay, so, I'm, I'm just being a wise guy. But it's possible that all four of these things could have occurred. Now, let's, let's change the uh, scenario. Now, suppose you come into the scene and now you see all this blood. Was that, was that natural? Okay, why now? Why would you think? Now this is good because you're you, you're starting to reason, right? I mean, you're you taking the information that you see, and you're starting to draw certain assumptions and and, and inferences. Why wouldn't you think? And forget about the cheesy, um, you know, little black stuff. I just try to cover all the blood that was all in. But why would you think that that maybe was not natural? I mean, naturally, when we bleed, where do we bleed? We bleed internally, and if it's going to come out, it, it'll come out through the orifices, right? Either the ears, the nose, the mouth, the eyes. And, and so where, did, where does this guy have a pool of blood predominantly? Stomach. Alright, stomach. Okay, I've got one detective in this whole class. Come on, I, I need some more investigators here. Alright, so stomach. So is, is, that, is it possible? You think that's natural that that occurred? All right, slim chance. Okay, a slim chance. He's right, it is a slim chance, but more than likely, it's not natural. All right, let's change it a little bit now. Okay, so he's got blood as a bloody knife. Now, we know for sure that that's not natural, right? I mean, there's no way that that's natural. So that absolutely... Now, could that have been an accident? It could have, right? It could have, you know, wanted to cut the steak, decided, man, I still have my work briefcase, I haven't washed my hands, ran to the bathroom, fell, stabbed himself, and he died. That's stretching it, but it could have been an accident. could have been suicide. Could people take their own lives with knives? Yes. Okay. Could have been a homicide. All right, so... I'm sorry? Well, probably not because usually it's like Okay, well what if he was, what was, he, if he was having a, a fight with somebody in front of him and the guy pulled out a knife and stabbed him? Yeah. So it could have been a homicide. He himself, he was the <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. Okay, you, You're using your critical thinking a little bit too sharp. So let's, uh, let's, let's ease up a little bit there, detective. Um, All right. It it could have been all these. It could have been all three. I mean, he could have just hypothetically. He could have tripped, stabbed himself. Could have been stabbed by somebody, uh, and it could have been an accident. Could have been suicide. All right. Let's change this up now. Suppose. So we got rid of. uh, That's. We'll say it's not accidental. Now. What do you think now? See, I I don't know if this is the right, because I I had... uh... Okay, it looks like bullet wounds, but... All right, when I was... (laughs) little disclaimer here. When I was looking uh, for stuff on Google Images, that's all I could find. I couldn't find a little blood drops. The original slide that I had, which I think is another presentation, this, it was only one here. So, is it possible if there was just one stab wound to the back, it could have been suicide? Could have been. Right? Just work with me here. I see so you shaking. Why are you shaking your head? No. It's not possible to stab yourself he in the back? Really okay, suppose he used to work for Bonham and Bailey Circus. And then he got fired because he got too big and, you know, and then he went out and got a job on Wall Street. So, is it possible you can stab yourself in the back? Yeah. All right. Now, if you have three stab wounds, then what? Homicide. All right. Now, that's absolutely a homicide. Okay, so um, what's the conclusion that we. We came to. Now, after all of those facts, right? We started eliminating, you know, natural. We eliminated the fact that could have been an accident, suicide. So when we see the three stab wounds, is it reasonable to think that was a homicide? Yeah. So when when you come to a conclusion, when when you gather all of the facts and you put all the pieces together and you start making inferences about what could have happened then you come to a conclusion now you have to ask yourself is it is the conclusion that we've come to and this doesn't necessarily I mean this doesn't apply only to homicide obviously a lot of things the conclusion that we come to is it reasonable and based on the facts that I gave you yeah it's reasonable there's uh, but it could also be unreasonable now, if somebody were to argue with you that, hey, he's got four stab wounds in the back, um, that was accidental. Would that be reasonable or unreasonable? unreasonable. That would be unreasonable, right? So, reason is really important. So, we look at homicides. Um, what we want to do is want to take this, let's say, a little further. All right, so we've established the fact that this, this was a homicide, this guy was murdered. What do we want to do next? We want to find out who murdered him, right? We don't just close the case. We want to find out. And and part of that is evidence collection. We've got to collect evidence that supports the the theory that we have that he was murdered. We want to preserve the crime scene, right? Somebody comes in and takes the knife and then they put a butter knife there. Um, they've, They've damaged the crime scene, right? So there goes your evidence. So we want to preserve the crime scene. And the other thing, we want to interview witnesses, right? Maybe there's somebody that's witnessed this, somebody that's heard something. And so we want to do all of these things so that we can begin to find out who, who committed this, this murder. So, again, uh, preserving the crime scene, we want to uh, collect the evidence. So here's our evidence. We've got the knife. We've got fingerprints on the knife. We've got um, we found some blood, so we've got his blood. Maybe there was some other blood there, so we collect that and you know we send that off. And this is all going to aid us as we again begin to make take take the information that we have and make certain inferences to come to a conclusion. Now we have we found the witness. Okay, so this is uh, Marge, the next-door neighbor. And we interview Marge, and she says, she gives us some information about what occurred. Number one, she, she, she heard the victim, we we'll call him Bob. Is that all right? There's no Bobs in here, is there? No Bobs? Okay. She interviews Bob, and, um, or she, she interviews the, the witness, and she says that she heard Bob arguing with his wife. That morning, like I mean, that afternoon when he came home from work, she know what the argument. Well, she heard it really loud because you know the walls are paper thin, so there's definitely conflict between Bob and his wife. Now, she says that she knows for a fact that Bob's wife was like really jealous that Bob bought a brand new BMW M4, you know, whatever wh- whatever that eighty thousand dollar car is. And, you know, he's always paying attention to his, his, his car. He's always cleaning the car. He's always, you know, taking the car out for a drive. And he never spends time with his wife. And, 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 and she's really upset about that. So she knows that from the fact because, you know, the wife has told her that in the past. I, I hate this car. I hate this guy. He spends more time with this car than he does me. He loves the car more than he does me. He says, you know, if, if, if it was up to me, I'd smash that car. You know, I'd, I'd smash it into the side of a building. But she knows for a fact that, that his wife is jealous of this new car. What else does she tell you? She says that after this argument, she heard tires peel and she looked out the window and she saw the wife speeding away in Bob's brand new BMW. So already, what are you starting to, I mean, what are some of the things that you're starting to think about as you interview this woman? Anybody? She killed him. She killed him, maybe, right? I mean, it's possible. Now, um, can we make an arrest? Can we arrest the wife at this point? No. Is she a strong uh, suspect? Right? Okay. Now, you find the car. The car has blood in it. So, you collect the blood in the car and uh, also you now you go in and you get a search warrant and so you search the house and in the bathroom where they have a hamper where they put all the dirty clothes in the very bottom is a bloody dress the dress belongs to the wife and so you collect that evidence now there's also the fingerprint comes back and the fingerprint comes back with the wife's fingerprint so you've got her fingerprints on the knife. Let's say the DNA, the, the DNA results come back from the blood analysis, the seriology, and that comes back to the wife. Do you have, do you have enough to arrest the wife? Yes. With, with that? Yes. Who says no? You can still make an argument in her favor. It's her kitchen. She could have touched the knife, and maybe she walked in and saw him dead, and went to touch him, then she... Okay, we have a defense attorney <laughs> in the class. Good, and 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 this goes right now. This is what I was talking about earlier about forensics, right? So now, you know, the proverb says, you know, a man makes an uh, you know makes a good argument, and I'm not right, but until you hear the other side, or until you hear another argument. So yeah, that's all plausible. That's all. That's all reasonable. But for the purposes of this, <laughs> for the purposes of my homicide case. um, Let's, let's throw in this third... I mean, this sixth... Uh, so now, that could be true... But with all of the evidence... You inter- interrogate the wife... And you, you give a harsh interrogation... And she's hungry... And you buy her cheeseburgers... And she's still hungry... So you buy a McDonald's shake... And she's real nervous... So you buy her some cigarettes... Because she's a smoker... And then, after you, and then after you interrogate her... For three hours... Then you leave the room... And then you know you you heard that good cop bad cop, right? So now your partner, so you're the good guy because you you know you're buying cheeseburgers for her. Um, Now your partner comes in and he's he's a tough guy. I know you did it. You're worthless. Just admit it. You know your mother never loved you. You know whatever 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 techniques that they they use when they when they play the bad cop. But but you know now she's in the she's in the interrogation room for six hours seven hours, and finally she's just she's just exhausted. And what does she do? She confesses. She breaks down. She is the most jealous wife in the world. Pretty handsome, that jealous wife. Um, she confesses, alright? So, so, you've made your case. And, and how did you go about making your case? Is you began to take uh, evidence and you started coming up with theories about what could have happened. And you decide whether or not it's reasonable. Now, okay, this is silly. All right? But what the point is is that when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a lot of these principles are the same because Jesus... um, The death was in the past 2,000 years ago. So it's it's not a repeatable event. We can't go back. It's not something that we can put in the lab, But it's something that we can see what... Are there witnesses to the resurrection? Are there things that occurred uh, that are written in history that we can look at and say, you know what, it's reasonable to conclude that the resurrection was something that did in fact occur. Was Jesus' death natural? Anybody say yes? Was it a natural death? No. Was it an accident? Was it suicide? Obviously not. It was a homicide. They intended to kill Jesus, and they did. So, let's examine the scene, gather facts and evidence, explore explanations, draw reasonable conclusions. Alright, so the first thing that has to be established when you think about the resurrection is the fact that Jesus died. Now, that, you know, that, that seems I mean, it seems obvious, but if Jesus didn't really die, then there is no resurrection. Does that make sense? I mean, if Jesus didn't die, then how can we talk about he was raised from the dead? So, how do we know that Jesus was di- died on the cross and was buried? Um, Jesus' tomb was empty, and no one ever produced his body. Alright, is another fact. Now, these, uh, these several facts that I'm just laying out there... These are kind of like the bare minimum facts. So these are, these are facts that even, even skeptics believe or concur happened. Right? So we as Christians believe this has happened. Even people who are opposed uh, to Christianity and people who uh, doubt that the resurrection was a fact took place. They, they, they even accept this. Jesus, bought, Jesus' disciples believe that they saw Jesus resurrect from the dead four of Jesus' disciples, that they were transformed following the resurrection. Okay? So let's look at this. Now, how, how do we know that Jesus died? How How is it that Jesus was confirmed to be dead? Well, we know that the Roman soldiers who crucified uh, people as a form of, of a judicial punishment, they were tasked with, this, with the crucifixion. Were these soldiers amateurs? Were these just a bunch of guys hanging out in the street corner uh, drinking papyrus papyrus beer, whatever they drank back then? No, these were professional soldiers who were trained in the art of killing and the art of warfare. And the ones that were tasked with the crucifixion were guys who, that was their job, right? They were professionals. So, they did their job. So Mark 1539, you call the Roman centurion, says that when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, "Surely this man was the Son of God." So here you have a centurion who was someone a centurion was someone who was the uh, head over a, a company or a detail of a hundred soldiers. So here's a guy who wasn't just a regular soldier, but he was a leader. Um, He was in leadership in the military. And he's standing right in front of the cross. And and I'm sure this guy knew what death was like, how dead people looked. And he said, he looked and he saw how he died. So we have confirmation from a centurion. Pilate himself, uh, Mark 15, received word that Jesus was dead. So, 1540, Mark fifteen forty four says Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have di- that he should have already died. In other words, in other words, Jesus died sooner than Pilate expected him to die. And he says, summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. Now, the centurion is gonna. He's basically he knew that this, this is an important this was an important uh, job that he had to do. And so he had to confirm that, in fact, Jesus was dead. What do you think would have happened to him if he didn't perform his duties, if Jesus wasn't dead? It it wouldn't have been good for him, right? So he goes to Pilate and he confirms that Jesus was already dead. And it says that when Pilate learned from the centurion that he was dead, then he allowed Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' corpse. Also, uh, we have many women... That were with Jesus for many years, including his mother, her sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Joseph, Mary, the mother of the sons of Israel. I think I think all of the women there were named Mary back then, but you have like fifteen Marys who knew Jesus personally, and they were they were there at the scene they saw Jesus they knew he was they confirmed that he was dead, Simon of Cyrene. Matthew 27 this is the guy that carried his cross. He was at the crucifixion. Later on there's a siren a a Simon and Siren mentioned in the book of Acts. Good possibility was the same person. He witnessed it. Joseph of Arimathea. Now he was a rich, he was a rich guy, had a tomb and Jesus uh, he allowed he's the one that buried Jesus in in his tomb. Also Nicodemus, that we learn about in John 3, the one that came to him at night and, you know, and, and spoke with Jesus, he was there. He helped take the body of Jesus down. So they confirmed that Jesus was dead. Also in John 19.26, it says, that the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know that, that, the, that the Apostle John was the one that Jesus offered, um, was referred to as, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now the tomb was empty, and no one ever produced his body. So, as you you know, you, you guys know this. You hear this over and over again. They rolled a, a, a stone in front of the uh, in front of the tomb. They sealed it. It was guarded by professional soldiers. All the Roman and Jewish authorities had to do to disprove the resurrection claim was simply just to produce the body of Jesus. So when the disciples went around stating that they saw Jesus, that they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, all the authorities had to do was say, wait a minute, let's go to the tomb and we'll produce the body, and that would, <laughs> Christianity would have gone no further. But the tomb was empty, and no one ever produced his body. Now, the disciples believed that they saw Jesus resurrect from the dead. So, here we have eyewitness testimony. You have um, Mary Magdalene. Now, these are all the different uh, scripture verses. Dr. Geisler put this chart together. These are people that saw him, heard him, touched him, and other evidence. So, these are all the people that saw him. And the... um, I'll give you my email address if anybody wants the PDF copies to this because I know there's a lot to write down. I'll I'll email it to you. So all these people saw Jesus. These are the people that heard him. These are the folks that touched him. And then other evidence. Obviously, like I mentioned, the empty tomb, the grave clothes that he was buried in, wrapped in, they recovered. Uh, There are some that ate with him. There were some that saw his wounds. Remember Thomas, doubting Tom? He saw Jesus' hands and his side. Uh, So these are all witnesses to the resurrection. Now, this is also important. The disciples were transformed following the resurrection. When uh, Jesus was led off to uh, see Pilate and the others, Peter... You remember, uh, jumped on a couple of the centurions. Remember, he started fighting with them, and then the little girl said, weren't you the... The little girl said, weren't you one that was with him? And then he punched her in the face. Do you Remember that? Was that... No, I'm, I'm sorry, that's a different guy. When, what happened to Peter when he was confronted by a little girl? Does anybody remember? Denied Christ. How many times did he deny him? Three times. Right? So Peter, here's a guy who's afraid of a little girl. He denies Jesus three times. And yet, where are the other disciples? After Jesus died, they fled, right? They were in hiding. They, they were afraid that, that the Romans were going to come after them. But what happens after the resurrection? After the resurrection, I mean, these guys are as bold as you can be. And I think everybody, except, with the exception of John, uh, was martyred, was killed for their faith. So it's not an exaggeration to say how you know, initially the disciples, they were despondent, they were disillusioned. This was the, supposed to be the Messiah. And now here he is. He was on the cross. He's di- he, di- he died. He's in the tomb. And everything that they had lived for for the last three years seemed to go up in smoke. But when they saw that Jesus uh, resurrected, then that, it was a radical change. And um, they went through persecution, hardships, and again, they even died for their faith. Now, the Apostle, uh, well, Saul, what was Saul before he became a Christian? He was a persecutor of the church, right? And it's kind of like um, Adolf Hitler, okay? So Hitler and Goebbels and the whole Nazi regime, uh, Himmler and all these Nazi guys, they w- were out to exterminate the Jews during the 30s and the 40s, right? Uh, you're all familiar with the extermination camps. You know, over six million Jews uh, died at the hands of Nazis. Now, what if Hitler became a Christian in the middle of World War II and decided that he wanted to make peace with the Jews and he wanted to go to a synagogue? How do you, how do you think that they would feel about him coming to the synagogue? So, you know, Paul... Well, he was Saul at the same time. It was a similar thing. I mean, his job was to, to persecute Christians. That's what he did. He persecuted Christians. In fact, there's, in the book of Acts, after Paul came to know Christ as his savior, um, churches were afraid of him. They, 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 they were really concerned about him coming visiting because he was such a persecutor of the church. So he turned into one of the staunchest uh, enemies of the church, to one of his staunchest allies. And the resurrection is is a good explanation for that. Again, we talked about Peter. You know, he d- denied. He was he was so cowardly. He denied a, a young girl, but yet uh, he stood up before the Sanhedrin, and he he declared that we must obey God rather than men. What transformed James, brother of Jesus? You know, here's a guy who doubted Jesus uh, while he, while Jesus had his ministry on his earth on earth. His own brother. Right Because I know you guys all your siblings, you get along like this, right you guys are like this, all your siblings you know they they, they thought Jesus was a little you know a little nutty he's making claims to being uh, a messiah now this guy Pinchas Lapid, was a he's a Jewish uh, historian he's not uh, he hasn't embraced the resurrection as being Uh, that it it has any value. So he's he's not a Christian. But he did write this. He wrote, When this sacred, frightened band... He's talking about the disciples. When this sacred, frightened band of the apostles, which is about to throw away everything in order to flee in despair to Galilee, when these peasants, shepherds, and fishermen, who betrayed and denied their master, and then failed him miserably, suddenly could be changed overnight into a confident mission society, convinced of salvation and able to work with much more success after Easter than before Easter, then no vision or hallucination is sufficient to explain such a revolutionary transformation. If the defeated and depressed group of disciples overnight could change into a victorious movement of faith based only on auto-suggestion or self-deception, without a fundamental faith experience. In other words, if the disciples can have this radical change on anything other than actually seeing the risen Christ, then this would be a much greater miracle than the resurrection itself. All right, right. Let's. Uh, in a few minutes we have, let's take a look at some of the objections to the resurrection. Through the years, uh, a number of theories uh, have been thrown out there by critics of Christianity and trying to explain away the historical bodily resurrection of Christ. And so again, we want to ask the question, well, are the arguments that they provide, which they try to dis- make a disclaimer of the resurrection, is, is it reasonable? I mean, is that something that, that is reasonable? Back in 1965, Hugh Schoenfeld, he wrote this uh, bestseller book, Called the Passover Plot. And I don't know if you can see it, but it says a new interpretation of the life and death of Jesus. So, what he put forth in this book, which was a very popular book, it was on the New York Times bestsellers list, was that Je- Jesus didn't really die. I mean, he was all right. He was beaten. He lost a lot of blood. Um, he was nailed to the cross. Obviously, it is not uh, an unpleasant, exp- you know, pleasant experience. But that he just basically passed out, and so when the disciples took him down and they put him in the tomb, you know, there was a, there was a period of time where he just you know he revived himself. Now, when I was, um, I'm gonna be dating myself, but back in the '70s when I was in high school. I had a friend that I witnessed too, and he accepted Christ, and his dad was just... His dad was agnostic, and he just hated the fact that his son, Emilio, was going to church. And he bought this book, and he read the book, and he confronted me with the claims that this guy was making in this book. He confronted the both of us. See, it's, it's not true. Jesus, you know, he never really died. He's no, you know. And at that time... I don't know how to answer that. So, my friend Emilio and I, Emilio and I, we did the best apologetic thing that we can do. We ripped up the book and threw it away. And, and uh, I'm confessing all these years later. But his father came and he couldn't find the book and he accused us. I know you guys did something to that book. We denied it. I lied. I confessed later. But um, I, I, I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to handle that. But. Several years later, when I was in college, I was like, you know what? Let me read this. I'm going to read this book. Somebody, somebody else had mentioned it. I bought it, and I read it, and um, it wasn't all it cracked up to be. All right. Yeah, I tore up my copy. <laughs> all right, so did Jesus die? Okay, well, what do you think? All right, so number one, how could Jesus have survived? I mean, he lost so much blood between being beaten and whipped with the crown of thorns on his head, um, the fact that he was, that the nails were put through his, his wrists, his feet. Um, obviously, when he was, uh, you know, when, when you were on the cross, you couldn't breathe, right? So, so you, you, had to, you had to, like, push your feet up, take a breath, and come down. Now, Jesus died. We have the witnesses that he died. So you take this broken, battered, bloody body of Jesus, you stick him in a cold tomb, you roll the stone in front. No doctors, no medication, no any. I mean, so does does that sound reasonable, right? That not only that he survived, but he didn't have the medical attention. How would how would he even have the strength to push a two-ton rock that steel that sealed the tomb. Get past all the soldiers, and with his bloody, battered, emaciated look, convince his disciples that he was the resurrection, resurrected savior that had power over death. I mean, is, is that reasonable? It's not reasonable. Um, not only the disciples, but five hundred others that saw him. Okay, uh, how about the hallucination? Is a theory that you know people that the disciples just. Hallucinated. Well, we know that in hallucinations, it's not the case that you can have a number of people that have the same exact hallucinations over you know a period of time. So here we had 500 people that uh, witnessed Jesus after the uh, after his death in different places at different times over a period of 40 days. So, hallucinations, they don't work that way. Hallucinations work with individuals. Individuals may have hallucinations. Now, if, you, if you just had one disciple who's, you know, hey, I, I saw Jesus, you know, he spoke to me. Uh, we, had, we, we ate fish together, and everybody else didn't see, well, that, that might be a different story. But when you have so many different people, why is the tomb still empty? If it was a hallucination, again, why wouldn't the authorities just produce the body of Jesus? Why why didn't the Jews or the Romans, again, you know, to squash Christianity? All right, how about this? The disciples stole the body. All right. Now, the disciples, if they knew Jesus was dead, why would they steal the body and then kind of perpetrate this lie and then realize that because they're lying, they're going to suffer hardship Persecution, death does that sound reasonable? The other thing is that the disciples they were followers of christ they they they, they preached truth and honesty I mean they, they weren't about deceiving people and uh, concocting stories just to get followers they weren't hypocrites. you know what did what, what did they have to gain by lying about uh, about Jesus? Resurrecting? How could 12, you know, measly, scared fishermen who, who were living in hiding come and, and have the backbone to face uh, Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb and, and fight them and kill them? And I mean, it just, um, just doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. All right, so what about the wrong tomb? This is suggested, well, they just went to the wrong tomb. They went to the wrong tomb. They saw that it was empty. And uh, they believe that Jesus resurrected. And resurrected. How, how would you respond to that? What, what were some of the things that you would? What, what kind of counter arguments would you come up with? If one of your friends in school said, "Well, you guys go to a Christian high school, like a Christian school." Okay, so what if you have an atheist whose mother was a Christian? She sent him to your school, and, and he tells you, uh, "He says, look, they just they went to the wrong tomb." Well, well, how would you respond to that? Okay, how can you prove it? What, what else? What else do we know about the tomb? Whose tomb did it belong to? Okay, Joseph of Arimathea. So, do you think he knew what what his tomb was? I mean, it was his tomb, right? He owned it, right? Um, did everybody do this, you know, for forty days straight? So, for forty days, you've got all these people looking for Jesus. So they continuously, again. Why did the Roman soldiers or the Jewish authorities just go produce the body? It doesn't make sense. And what about it? doesn't explain away the appearances? So what if they did go to the wrong tomb? How do you explain you know, the, the fact that you had eyewitnesses that spoke with Jesus, that ate with Jesus, that saw Jesus? The Quran. Now, if you know anything about Islam, then you know that the Quran, Muslims teach that it wasn't actually Jesus that died that the last minute Allah switched him and in in, in the Quran uh, that's what they say they said that um, they said we kill uh, they're talking about you know the, the Jews that were followers of Christ that, you know we kill or, or says we kill Christ Jesus the son of Mary the messenger of Allah but they killed him not nor crucified him but so it was made to appear to them so, in other words, they, 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 those who said they killed him wasn't actually him that they killed. It was someone who, who who was who did they say that? Um, Judas. Judas, yeah, that it was actually Judas that died on the cross. Okay, uh, how do you respond to that? Well, the Old Testament predicted that Jesus would die, right? I mean, that, that wasn't that wasn't a surprise. I mean, Jesus's whole ministry was mission-driven. From, from, from day one, he knew that ultimately, at the end of his time uh, on earth, that it was going to culminate in his... well, it culminated with the resurrection, but that it was going to lead to his death. So, how is it that the crucifixion can be mistaken? You know, how, how could everyone who viewed it, his mother his disciples the soldiers that were there i mean how how is it that they can all be fooled into thinking that he didn't die and in mark 16:6 6, you have a, an angel who claimed that jesus died by crucifixion right muslims believe in angels uh, after the post resurrection who did jesus show his hands to right thomas so jesus himself d- displayed his wounds that he received on the cross And again, like we mentioned earlier, both Jews and Romans affirm that Jesus died. All right, it was a case of mistaken identity. All right, so what do you think about that? How many people lost a loved one? You know, grandfather, friend, anybody? All your grandfathers, your great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents, okay. Any friends, you guys? All right, let me ask this. Who has ever been to a funeral, to to a wake Okay, now when you viewed the person who passed away in the casket, did you recognize them? I mean, they may have looked different, obviously, right? But it wasn't like they were two different people. So, how could people who spent three years with Jesus mistake him from somebody else for over a period of 40 days? Uh, if it was a mistaken identity, then who performed miracles and ascended into heaven? Again, why didn't the Roman soldiers and Jews... So, to back it up again, so for the broad areas of evidence, you have the death of Jesus, which was confirmed by those who knew him. You have the empty tomb, the missing body. You have all of his post-crucifixion appearances. And Jesus, his disciples, were radically transformed after they saw him. And so that can only lead to one conclusion that jesus christ, the fact that he died, resurrected, rose again, and sent to heaven, is a historical fact now, again, like I mentioned, there's so much more um, that we could have covered, but uh, in, in the amount of time that was. It. so I appreciate your um, patience, and uh, thank you. Is, are, you is there any questions at all? I know we've got yes. like the size of the Bible of lot that you know of any other? There is, um, that I know that, and Ted Wright would be a great person to answer that question. I know that they have uncovered some things um, in terms of archaeology. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what they, it is right now, but I do have, I do have, um, let me see, where is it? I just downloaded this last night. If you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my email address. Write this down if, if you have a pen. Uh, Gary Habermas, who is probably one of the leading authorities on the resurrection in the world, um, has written extensively on the resurrection. Now, this is a free PDF that I just downloaded last night. I think midnight was the, the cutoff that it was available. Um, evidence for the for the resurrection. I have this that I can email you, or you, if you send me a copy, and I also have his his doctoral dissertation, um, where he his his dissertation was on the resurrection. So, if you email me at d e Sanchez s a n c h e z is in zebra at carolina.rr.com okay so that's d e sanchez at carolina.rr.com just send me an email and the subject line just put um, something like you know resurrection talk and i will send you i will send you all these materials okay well, thanks again. I appreciate uh, your attention. Sir, nice lunch lunchtime, so you've got short walk to the lunch line.